I'm going to pass this bucket around. It'll come back to me. Um, but uh, let me take a chance to invite the panel up, okay? So on the panel tonight of people who are going to do our best to answer your questions wisely and uh, coherently, myself and then uh, 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 Jordan Paris. Everybody give him a clap as he comes up. Jake Newell and Sam Uel, Sam Cassis, as you know him. So this is our panel tonight. Uh, they get to sit in the luxurious white slash off-white slash whatever chairs that these are. Beige? It's not quite a beige. It's not quite a cream. Go ahead and pass this around. If you have a question, just throw it in there. Uh, you can also uh, text it in, email it in, T- text it in to that on a text message. It will work. They have brought Bibles. This is good. Wisdom is with us. Uh, Wikipedia is not allowed. (laughs) All right, so uh, while we wait for maybe some of you to submit some more questions, I've got a few. And uh, we're going to do this in rapid fire round. We need a mic there. Do you want to pull down? Yeah, so right now, be submitting your questions. Bucket's going around if you've got paper questions. You can text it to that email address um, to submit it if you are wanting to do that electronically. Do we want to pull these, like, wired mics down? You guys can each have a mic. Is that a thing? Okay. All right. So let's, intru- let's introduce our panel here. Oh, I we? forgot a step. Yeah, Go for you it. did. Hey, so Pardon. my name is Sam. Um, I enjoy short walks on the beach. Um, short? If they were long, like... Sand would get my toe. I just, my pedicures get messed up. So, um, yeah, the reason, the reason that I know so many answers is because um, you're a college I, student, memorized, you? I memorized Google. You memorized Google. Wait, but you're graduating soon, aren't you? I am. And then I'll forget everything. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, my name's Jake. Uh, I, too, like short walks on the beach and uh, know everything. But not together. And uh, I memorized Bing. That's, that's how I got my answers. So I'll probably be a little inferior. It's going to be a little far behind. Yeah. Uh, my name is Jordan. Uh, I like Jesus a lot. So I don't know why they said the beach thing. Um, and also, a little sarcasm there. I don't know many answers, so I don't know why I'm up here. But I'll give it my best shot. Also, sarcasm there. So that tells you absolutely nothing about them. But that's okay. I'm Courtney. I work at a library. Hashtag, follow the hashtag. I also work here, and that doesn't help either. So I could tell you my bio on Twitter. It's that I think laughter is the best skill that I have. So it may be one of my only gifts. Okay, the interwebs is broken, but I'm trying to fix it. But in the meantime, all right, rapid fire. We'll just start here, and then we'll go down and come back, okay? Can, okay. We, go, can we start, like, on easy level first? I got to get warmed up. This is, this is easy. Okay. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> okay, first question. What sound does a tiger make? <laughs> I think it's rawr. My internet is broken. Uh, I think it's a little more like a snarl, you know, like a snarl rather than a roar. It's personal. <laughs> it is not a wiener dog. How much cash do you have on you right now? I have zero cash on me. I have like 50 cents. Uh, Two dollars, maybe? Right now? How much do we have? Cash. Right now. Oh, zero dollars. How do you debit? Yeah, really. 
Uh, what shampoo do you use? <laughs> All right. This, this is sound, rapid fire. This is going to sound weird because I don't choose it. My wife buys it. But I use, I use coconut milk shampoo and conditioner. Nice. <laughs> Fresh. That's great. Uh, yeah, it's, the, it's, the, it's all about the coconut shampoo for me. For real? Dude, for real. Dude. Yes. <laughs> I use hilarious. multiple because when the dorm bathrooms, people just leave them out, so I just take them and then use them. So, no, I really don't. I use a lot of different ones. Okay. These are kind of getting personal. Have you been pulled over by a cop? Yes. 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 <laughs> and we're still up here. <laughs> Last question, is Courtney crazy? Most likely. Okay. That's probably the truth here. You don't want us to answer that, huh? Don't answer that. Okay. No, I can answer that one. Okay. There's a lot of questions that we've gotten so far that are very similar. Um, but first, uh, one that um, I'm going to pose to... Oh, thanks. Um... We kind of talked about this in the last couple weeks of Citizens, but the question is, what does forgiveness look like? Jake, do you want to answer that one? So forgiveness, when I think of forgiveness, I think of you're not, if someone has wronged you, you're not holding that against that person anymore. And there doesn't have to be like a, it doesn't have to be a restoration, but that is obviously what we want, like an end goal of forgiveness. Uh, so forgiveness is uh, when someone like hurts you, you come to that terms and say, you know what, I don't hold this against you. I'm not going to be mad about this anymore. I'm not going to accuse you anymore. Uh, it is, uh, just not, I guess, not holding it against the person anymore. Can I follow up with what I think forgiveness is not? Mm -hmm. um, I have my, my sister, actually, right now. We're going through this. And so my sister has been hurt by an individual. Um, talk about being super vague, right? My sister has been hurt by an individual and she was texting me today because he, individual, is now trying to get back in contact with my sister. And so I had to forgive him to not want to hurt him physically, right? So that was forgiveness. But here's what forgiveness is not. She does not have to now be friends with that person, right? She does not have to put herself back in that situation. And so he's saying, well, if you forgive me, let's just go back to normal. Forgiveness does not mean necessarily pretending like it never happened. I think forgiveness is just saying, when I look at you, I'm not wishing in my mind that you would pay for what you did. So, yeah. Uh, I also think when we think of terms of forgiveness, we usually think it's like between each other. But I think sometimes forgiveness has to come within ourselves. Like we have to forgive ourselves for things too. Um, so for instance, if you hold thing, something against some, someone, like you're gonna forgive them. But obviously if you do something wrong, a lot of times that shame, we hold that against ourselves. And part of that is accepting God's forgiveness on us, but also saying, you know, I forgive myself. So I think it goes between people, but also um, with our own selves. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good answers. That is a good question. Um, okay. So question to Sam, which is relevant to what's happening at LifePoint soon. What is baptism? What is baptism? What does it mean to be baptized? <laughs> you have not been baptized? <laughs> we'll do baptisms right now. Who wants to be baptized? Just come here. <laughs> hey, so this is what baptism is. Baptism is, ooh, can I use a metaphor or should I use like my big boy words? 
Big boy words. Can you handle ba- it? <laughs> I can't handle the truth. <laughs> Baptism is going public with your faith, right? And so when I, when, I met, when I decided to marry my wife, I decided I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And so she said, okay, if you like it, put a ring on it. And I was like, I will. So I put a ring on it. I asked her to marry to it on her, right? Beyonce, she's such like a chauvinist, right? Power to women. Because um, who rules the world? Girls. And so I, I put a ring on it, but then we did something, right? I didn't say, okay, we're married. I said, well, I want to go public with my love for you. I want to show the whole world that I love you. And so what did we have? A wedding, right? If I would have said to my wife, I love you, I just don't want anybody else to know, so can we just do this on the, on the down low? She would have kind of looked at me and be like, what? Right? And so we had a wedding. I, that's how I think of baptism. You're going public. You're saying, hey, world, I now live for Jesus. And so, dude, we have 10 people in this room that are getting baptized. Tell your friends about it, right? And so when you get baptized, dude, that's when you invite your friends, you invite your family, Anybody that you want to know, hey, I now live for Jesus. I'm going public with my love for him. And so, yeah, how many of you in this room have been baptized? I'm just curious. Wow, dude, that's huge. Okay. Um, and so if you're curious in baptism, if you're curious, if you're interested or curious in getting baptized on Easter Sunday, come talk to us afterwards, and, uh, and Jake will take care of you. Okay. Um, there's some really good questions in here. I'm excited to get to these. Um, Uh, I'll, I'll bring it. I'll categorize them for you. Okay, so we're going to go on a subject uh, relation to uh, dating and sex and other things. Um, so the really good question that came in was, um, if there's such a stigma against talking about sex in the church, how are young adults supposed to make a healthy transition as they enter marriage? I think that's really good. I, I think that's a good question, and I think it... I think the statistics are evidence that a lot of young adults aren't entering into that in a healthy way because I think the church has failed historically to address sexuality. So um, that's a really good question. Uh, I've, I've only been here for a couple months, so I'm not sure what LifePoint does, but I'm, I think Sam has a better idea what, and Jordan does. Um, here, here's what it is. I think Jake's 100% right, right, that we, we go, shh. Right? And it's like, hey, how you doing? Sex. I think, here's what I think we need to do, all right? Young, young men and young women, look up here. We need to talk more about sex. I think that's what it is. And so actually this fall, we're going to be doing a series in Citizens on marriage, relationships, and sex. And so we're going to go through and see what the Bible has to say about that. Um, you know why I think too many churches can, can almost be prude and be like, don't talk about it, Right? You know why I think that's kind of weird? Because the Bible has an entire book devoted to sex. It's called the Song of Solomon, right? And so I think, I think God created sex. I think sex is good. And I think it's even, I think it's only good when we, when we engage in that in the way that God created that to be. And that's in the confines of marriage. And so friends, don't think that the message of the church is, you're not allowed to do something good until you're married. The message of the church is, it's only going to be good. And it's only going to avoid heartbreak. And it's only going to avoid emotional pain when you save it for marriage. And so it's a gift from God. And so if we have given off the stigma that it's a bad thing, it's not a bad thing, all right? Read the Bible. It's a good thing and um, when it's, when it's um, in the confines of marriage. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm probably like most of you in high school here. I'm not married, so I feel like I'll come at it from a little different perspective. Um, but just as someone, I'm in a relationship, but I'm obviously not married. So in terms of thinking about sex, I feel like a lot of times we talk about 90% of it is like negative. Don't do this because bad, bad, bad. And like the 10% is like, oh, this is why you should save it till marriage. And so I try to think of it as like you flip that. And I think 90% of how we talk about sex should be positive and why it's so good in the context of marriage. It's like a treasure. And I don't think we realize that. And so we kind of get this negative idea of sex. Rather, I like to say, instead of fighting against sex just because it's bad, right, outside of marriage, I think we have to fight for it um, in marriage someday. So we're fighting for something good, not against something that's just negative. So it gives you something to fight for. Um, and so, I mean, I'm looking forward to that someday eventually. Um, so it's like right now, as I'm single or as I'm in a relationship, I can fight for that good thing, that treasure that sex really is within marriage, if that makes sense. Right. And here, here's, um, when I was growing up, here's what I was told. You're not allowed to date until you're 16 and no sex until you're married. Until you're married. And no, there's nothing else. That's all my parents gave me. You're not allowed to date until you're 16 and no sex until you're married. And so that, for me, that was, there's a lot of missing information in there. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's where we, need, we do need to talk about it more. Um, and, and we'll do a lot of that this fall. But I, I like what you said, Jordan. Let's, let's paint a positive picture of what that is in marriage. And um, yeah. Here's a follow-up to that. It says, so a few years ago, our youth group and our youth leaders were very anti-dating. Where do you feel like we stand today? I feel like I was part of that movement a little bit um, because out of the immaturity or uh, kind of this false teaching that we've had about, I don't know if false teaching is the right word, but I kind of grew up with that idea of, like, you can't even look at a boy. Like, you're looking at him? Put blindfolds on, you know? And so, like, anytime I was, like, attracted to a guy, I was like, I am the worst person ever, and I hate my life. And so then as I became a a youth leader, my transition was really weird, and I don't always suggest this because I came straight from being a student to being a, a leader of a, uh, in the youth group. And there's a lot of immaturity in my own life. And so the people that I was leading, I was like, don't even look at boys. Like, don't even look at them. My small group is nodding their head. Um, <laughs> yep, she was. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, about three years in, I, maybe two years in, I had to sit them down and be like, hey, I'm sorry. Because I was going about this wrong, you know? Um, and I don't know, where we stand as an official statement, I'll let you answer that, Sam. But with my group, you know, I tell them, like, we just talk about the practicalities of what it means for you. Like, you're 16 years old. Do you have a job? Do you have a way to, like, bring it to the table? Here's a great metaphor that we're using with my small group right now. And it's, I'm tooting my own horn here, but here we go. Okay. <clears throat> They're going to roll their eyes at me. So, you want to get into a dating relationship, right? Okay. So if you use my metaphor and claim it as yours. I'm not I'm using your metaphor. He has a great MacBook metaphor, so he'll, he can tell you about that. But it's like you're going to the airport, okay? And your dating relationship is to get on the same plane with this person, going the same direction, right? And if you evaluate yourself as a human being, right, and you look at where you are uh, emotionally mature, uh, where you're at uh, spiritually, where you're at in, in all these different categories, you bring certain baggages with you to the airport, right? And... For us to be dating at a time that's not right for us, either we are emotionally not prepared, whether we're spiritually not prepared, whether we just aren't prepared in a number of other ways, we show up at that baggage counter and suddenly our significant other has to pay like $500 in over baggage fees because our baggages are too heavy, right? 
Yeah? Yeah. So do the other person a favor and pack light. Get your life figured out and then enter in a dating relationship. Dude, can you imagine, right? I want, I want to paint a scenario now. And you're in the cafeteria and this girl comes up to you and they're like, hey, boy, I think you're fine, right? And he's like, yo, listen, chick, I would totally date you, but, like, your baggage fees, like, I just feel like you're, like, you're overweight in your baggage oh, no. fee. Like, I have too many... Like, I don't want to get charged 500 bucks. <laughs> Can you just imagine the face on that girl of like, I think that was a, a no. <laughs> I think I'm insulted. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great metaphor. Here's, here's where we stand as a youth culture, all right? Because we have a very unique culture here. And so some of you upperclassmen that maybe you were part of that, maybe immaturity or, or whatever, whatever you want to call that, um, we have a, a different culture here when it comes to dating. And so I talk about this to the guys at summer camp. I talk to the girls, I think, that I talked to you guys last summer camp. Right, and so that was that was helpful, and so we're going to continue to establish and, and make clear that culture. But here's here's the bottom line of the culture, and this um, and we can talk more about this. It's funny that she uses an airplane metaphor because our series this fall is actually called Carry On, and so that's that's appropriate. Um, but here's the bottom line when it comes to dating: the point of dating is to find a spouse. And so I have my sixth graders. Where are my sixth graders at in here? Right, they come up to me. And they're like, dude. I want to date her. And I'm like, no way. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, like, when do you think you want to get married? Probably when I'm, like, 25. That's solid. That's good. Yeah, I want to have my career. I want to really be established financially. And then uh, I want to be able to support myself and my wife. Dude, that's a great mature atmosphere. How old are you? 13. Great. All right. So, like, what, 12 years maybe? Before? Yeah, at least. Cool. So, uh, but you want to date now? Yeah. All right. Um, so, like... Will you hold hands? Probably. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, how long will that, like, be satisfying? Uh, I don't know. All right. And then you'll probably, like, kiss. Yeah. Ha-ha. <laughs> Sixth grade giggle. Cool. All right, cool. And so how long is that going to be, like, cool? I don't know. I've never kissed one before. All right, cool. I mean, like, so you mean to tell me that for the next 13 years, you're going to be sexually pure with, the, this, with this other student because you don't want to be married until you're 25? Well, I guess since you put it that way, thanks. <laughs> you know, it's like the point of dating is to find a spouse. So do you want to have a spouse? I mean, not yet. So why are you dating? And so I, we look at it very practically. We're not anti-dating. I dated. How did I find my wife? We just think, wait till you're ready, right? Wait till you're ready to find a spouse. Because here's what happens. And I can't get into the whole MacBook analogy now, can I? I just can't. But like, here's what happens. The very things that you need to be ready as a woman, the very things that you need to be ready as a man, you're not doing those things because you're distracted by this high school scene, you know? And a lot of you guys, you guys have admitted to me, and so you know who you are and you know what's in your own heart. The reasons why you're getting into dating relationships is not to find a spouse. It's because you feel the pressures of people around you. You don't know that just because you have a feeling towards someone that doesn't mean you have to act on it in an exclusive relationship. You can like girls if you're a guy. If you're a girl, you can like guys. That doesn't mean you have to become exclusive and now we're one-on-one. -on -one. Be friends. Continue to hang out in youth group. Continue to get to know each other without putting the pressure of labels and the expectations of a formal relationship. Are we Facebook official? What do we tell people? What do we describe ourselves as? It's like we're friends. And if you have immature friends that want to go, did you see them hanging out with each other? Dude, roll your eyes and say, hey, grow up. That's our, that's our culture. Yeah, that's good. Um, 
There's a few more on this, but I'm wondering if we should move on. Um, Did that satisfy? I feel like there was so much left to be said. Is that helpful or not helpful? You're satisfied? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Here's some questions on Christianity, and I think they pair up. So the first one is, uh, can you go to heaven if you don't believe in God? And then the second one was, if you're a Christian, but you've never actually prayed and asked for forgiveness, has he still forgiven you of your sins? Do you have to pray for him to do that? So it's kind of like this assurance of salvation. Like, do you have to believe in God to be a Christian? And then your assurance of salvation. Uh, If you don't believe in God, can you get into heaven? Uh, Well, I would say the term belief is very ambiguous. In other words, it has like very different meanings, I guess you could have. Belief versus like faith, what does that look like? Um, But I mean, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you try to get to God through your own means or through faith in yourself or other things, I don't see how you could um, get to heaven except through Jesus, if that makes sense. So I feel like if you, also belief, I would say, is more than just a conceptual knowledge of like, I believe in Jesus, but it's actually saying, you know, I surrender my life in a posture of humility and repentance and say, you know, I, I surrender my life to you. And if you don't do that um, to Jesus, then I don't, I don't really see how you could. I don't really see any other way except Jesus that you could enter heaven. Can you read the second part of that? The second question was about if you're a Christian, but you've never actually prayed and asked for forgiveness, has he still forgiven you of your sins? So this one, um, I think... It's a, obviously a tricky question, but, but maybe a little easier than it seems because I don't think that there is a Christian out there who hasn't asked for forgiveness. And if, if you are, you've asked for forgiveness um, and you have submitted your, your life to Christ, then God is faithful. He's faithful to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness and you're saved. So I, I don't think you need to worry if you're out there worrying like, well, you know, I believe in God, but... I don't think I'm saved. Um, well, if you've confessed your sin and you put your faith in Christ, then, then you're saved. And I would say don't, you can take that to the bank. You can be sure on that. So, Yeah, and Jesus says the, the first step of coming to salvation, the first step of surrendering your life to Jesus is repentance. So you come to, the way you become a Christian is by confessing your sin and turning from your old lifestyle and then moving forward to go, I now want to live for you. So you can't get to that point of going, I want to live for you without renouncing and saying, I no longer want to live for these things. Um, And in in terms of the first question, the heaven question, what's heaven, right? People think that heaven is just some paradise. Heaven is fulfillment of what God promised from the very beginning, that he would be our God and we would be his people. And so, spoiler alert, if you read the very last couple of chapters of the book, it tells you what heaven is like. It's where God is now in our midst. And the whole earth is actually what heaven is. The whole earth is where God lives and we live with him. And so heaven is life with God. And so if you don't believe in God, why would you want to be in heaven anyway? Yeah, and I think you're, uh, the, 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 the roadblock in that question, those questions, is looking at God as a thing to be accomplished rather than a person to meet, you know? Uh, It's the difference between punching your ticket to get on a plane ride or a bus versus uh, entering into a family. A lot of flying metaphors tonight. Maybe I want to go somewhere. Are you going somewhere? Maybe. Are you on vacation? Maybe this is a sign. (laughs) It's a sign. It's a sign. We're all going to Vegas. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, because, you know, we talked about last week and why, why we're called citizens, because we're citizens of the household of God. We're part of his family. It's not that you, uh, like, get your passport stamped and suddenly you, you did it all. You're going to heaven. You're going to have a sweet, awesome life. It's having a relationship with someone. If I lived in the same house with my parents, which I do, but I never talked to them, what is that? I'm just a person that lives in their house. You know, so this question of, you know, do I, should I pray? You know, it's like, should you talk to your parents? You're like, no. Yes, you should talk to your parents, you know. But it's just that relational side. Okay, we got a lot of questions on, um, we got a lot of questions on, telling others about Jesus. So it's how should I tell others about Jesus? How do I share the gospel with others? How do I teach others about God? Um, a kind of an extra addendum to that one is uh, what if someone tells me that God is not real? What do I say to them? So all these questions on how do we live out our faith in like the cafeterias of our school. If you're in the cafeteria and someone approaches you and says, God isn't real, you take your finger, you put it in your face, Liar! That's what I do. Right. Yeah. I think the biggest thing on the sharing of the faith question, I don't know what just happened here. Um, sharing, just saying. You just got to share your life. Like, I just hang out with people. Here's the, here's the thing that I've learned this last year is that if you make Christ the center of your life, you're going to have to talk about him at some point. You know? Like, he's just included in, in your re- regular talk. So when, you know, someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, what did you think about, you know, this movie that we watched? You're like, hmm, that's interesting. I take it from this point of view, and this is why. Or when someone is like, hey, what the best time is like, I don't, do you any have friends that ask you for advice? Do you have any, like, are any of you, like, your, your friend's counselor, you know? They, like, come to you, and they're like, let me tell you everything about my life. And they roll up the couch, and you get, like, the notepad out, that kind of friends. That was kind of, like, my role in high school, too. And the number one thing that I learned when it comes to sharing your faith, number one, number one is not to talk. It's just shut up and listen. Because if you don't understand the person, why are you talking to them, you know? So listen to what they're saying. And then secondly, when it comes to giving advice in those counseling moments, I found myself going, you know what? I don't know what I'd do in your shoes, but as a Christian, here's what I would do. And that way I'm sharing, like, Christ is at the center of my life. I'm sharing who he is in me and what I'm, how I respond my life in regards to that. Um, and they, I'm not pushing it on them. I'm not like, you should do this because this is the Christian thing to do. It's like, here's what I would do. I don't know what you would do. But because I'm a Christian, I believe in God. This is X is what I would do in this situation. Um, <clears throat> I think Courtney's totally right on that. Uh, for me, uh, I've, the best parts for uh, sharing my faith have come with people I work with, for my friends, people I've got to know who aren't Christian. And so it means you need to make friends who aren't Christians. You need to be out there. You can't just stay at home and hide in your room and be like, oh, I'm afraid of everyone. I'm afraid of sharing my faith. Uh, it's it's a scary world, but, you know, God is with you. You have the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's, you, you're well-equipped. Um, and so uh, this goes back to 
there's this guy, and he's named Francis Chan. He's a, he's a preacher down in California, I think. And uh, he was asked this question. He said, uh, he was asked, if you could share the gospel with someone in an hour, you had an hour to share the gospel, how would you do it? And he said, I would listen to that person. Tell me, tell me about their life for 55 minutes. And then I would spend the next five minutes and tell them how it can apply to their gospel. So we listen to people's stories, and we can tell what, what things they're struggling with or how salvation speaks to them particularly. Um, but it is. It's, it's all about relationship, um, I think. You can definitely do contact evangelism where you just go around and tell people the good news. That's one way to do it. But for you guys who are in school, it's probably a lot easier for you to make friends with people and to then have those conversations where you're respected and you know that, or they know you're not just going to say, you have to do this and you have to do that, but it's a dialogue and people can, you know, safely approach you without being uh, afraid they're going to get <laughs> condemned. Yeah, I just thought of an analogy. Uh, so in high school, my three best friends uh, were all atheists or they just didn't believe in God. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. And so I kind of think of the analogy is like, well, for one, you can't spoon feed someone food that they don't want to eat. Like you can't force it down their throats, you know. Um, so I think the same thing is with the gospel. Um, but I kind of think of it like this. Imagine that you're like a TV and you're like on wheels. Like you're always walking around. It'd be awesome, right? But like the message, if you're a Christian, the TV show, the channel that's playing is like the gospel 24-7. So as you're walking around, you're hanging out with these people, like, they're naturally just going to see that. And the moment that God tugs on their heart and they say, you know what, maybe I'm ready to sit down and watch for a little bit and actually ask some questions and tune in on this channel. And so I think it's more of a, right, you're not trying to force feed people uh, God's word. Like, you can't do that. Like, he, that's his job. Like, we can only point him to him. Um, but at the same time, as you build relationships, man, you are like a TV that is constantly on the channel that is showing the gospel. And I think people, when they want to tune in, they will. And my three best friends, two of them are still not with the Lord. But one of them, I think this last year, gave his life to God. And that was like four or five years after. So sometimes you see the results, sometimes you don't. But you got to realize that's not in your hands. Another thing, when I was a student, I remember like I almost felt like this pressure. Like people were like, you better share your faith, you know. And so I would go into school kind of like... <sighs> I have, like, chores to do, you know what I mean? I have, like, spiritual chores, you know? I got to do my homework, I got to go to practice, and then I have to share my faith. And I just, and I almost had this, like, like a chore mentality. But here's a different mentality that really, like, when I got it, I got excited about sharing my faith. God is already, guys, listen, God is already in your school drawing people to him. You know what I mean? Like, think about it. Some of you in this room weren't here a year ago. Some of you that are baptized now weren't always baptized, but God is drawing people in your school. He's already working in their life. He's doing things in their heart and mind that you may not even always know by looking at them. You go, dude, that person, they'll never believe in Jesus. And God's already working on their hearts and, 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 and working on their minds. And so when you realize that God is already at Mountain View, when God is at Union and Camus and Sky Ridge drawing people to himself, you can now go, dude, I don't have pressure. All I need to do is go and tell the Jesus story. All I need to do is go and tell people, hey, God is working to save humanity and to, to right all the wrongs in this world. He's working. How did he do that? Well, let me tell you the story of Jesus. I mean, it's that simple. And so be encouraged, guys. God is drawing your friends, your friends that don't know Jesus. I believe that he's drawing them to himself, and he wants to save them from their sins and, and to, to live with them. And so that's encouraging. Yeah. Okay, here's a question that's probably, uh, well, it's heavy for me. I don't know if it's heavy for you guys. Um, 
a lot of us have experienced things in this life that suck, you know, things that happen to us, things that you're like, what? And so the question is, why do unfortunate things happen when God is supposed to be looking out for us? Yeah, just kind of that thought of, you know, why did this person get ill or why did this person die or why does this situation happen? Why did my parents lose their house or their job or why if God is supposed to be looking out for us? I had a friend, I was a sophomore in high school and we had a friend, he was a fellow trumpet player, um, football team and um, dude, I remember, I remember the morning that we came into school and there was like an extra long um, like kind of announcement. It, like usually the announcements always happen at like 8.07 or whatever and like it didn't happen and we were all just kind of like pausing and waiting for like the announcements and then the principal came on and he announced to the whole school that Ian died last night, right? Committed suicide, going 110 miles per hour down the state road into like a telephone pole, you know? And those are the kind of questions that I was asking, but even like my non-Christian friends, psh, and they say there's a God, and you kind of hear those mumblings, yeah, God, God's real, right? And it's like, if God's real, could he not have like reached down and stopped my friend from driving that car? Couldn't he have? I mean, God could have, right? He's all powerful. Could he not have reached down and just like turned off the engine and just totally thwarted his plans? And he didn't, you know? And, um, and here's the hard reality, and I'll, I'll be interested to hear how you guys answer it. I don't know why he didn't. I don't know why my, my friend's mom, who died of cancer our senior year, I don't know why he didn't save her. He could have. Why didn't he? And so I read the Bible, and I realize that God is so much bigger than me, and, and I don't understand everything that he does. But here's where I get my comfort. The same God, he came to earth, and he took a dose of his own medicine, right, so to speak. Whatever, whatever we're drinking down here, whatever, whatever, how much life sucks down here, he came down in the person of Jesus, and his life sucked more than any of our lives could ever suck. He was murdered, right, by people who, like, sang his praises. He was betrayed by his best friends. He was beat up, cut, torn, pierced, crucified on a cross. And so I don't always understand why life sucks, but I look at God, and I see him looking at us going, Hey, you don't, it doesn't make all sense now. You don't get it, but I'm with you. And that encourages me. Well, I, can't, I can't really add anything to that other than uh, we often don't know why. Sometimes we get to see, oh, this is why God let that happen. And if you get to see that, you're lucky. And hang on to that because that will help you get through something a little more difficult down the way. Um, but, yeah, Jesus is the one who came down and he suffered with us, and so God does know what it is like to suffer, um, and it is it is a heavy thing that sometimes we have to accept that we, we may never know the why on this side, um, but trust that everything that comes is either from God's hands or it passes through God's hands, that it's not outside of his control, so when bad things happen, we can say with, with a certainty that, you know, God is still in control, even though I don't understand why he let this happen. But I know he's in control, and I know he's good. And I know that he knows what it means to suffer. And I know that you can, you can trust those things. And so those are the only things you really can uh, hold on to sometimes in those really difficult times. And you know what else I hold on to there is, like, 
it's not the end of the story. You know what I mean? Like, life sucks sometimes, guys. You know, and we'll be talking about that actually in a few weeks. We're going through Ruth, you know, and and the, and the, the series is Beauty from Ashes. Sometimes life is a pile of ashes. Sometimes everything comes crashing down around you in life, but God is going to redeem it all. Like one day, life will be perfect. The world will be made new. And that's the hope. We look forward to where, yes, Jesus died, but he rose from the grave as a statement to go, death is not the end. Life sucks sometimes, but it's not the end. He did something about it. And he's, as, as my, my, my son's storybook Bible says, he's making all the, the wrong things untrue, you know? And one day he will. I think also, I don't want to like, you don't want to undermine suffering either. Like you have to realize that um, like God that is part of the plan. Like, that just, that's the reality. But like, suffering, we can't be like, oh, suffering is what it is, and now I'm emotionally going to be numb to it just because it's so serious. Like, we have to, we have to grieve. We have to go through things. That's just part of life. Um, but I think a big part of that is also, that's being part of the church, right? That's why it's so important to come here because a lot of us do go through things. A lot of, even in high school, middle school, like, you still go through a lot of crap. Like, you go through a lot of difficult things with family, parents, friends. And so I just want to highlight that that's the importance of being here, a part of citizens. Like, we are a family. And so when you do go through those things and those difficult life circumstances, we don't know why that is, but we're in it together, right? We're not in it alone. And so I just want to emphasize that, yeah, there's probably a lot of us in here that are going through things right now. But at the same time, that is why we come here. How many of you have ever had a friend who went through a tragic incident? You have a friend who had something really, really hard happen to them. Here's a piece of advice when that happens. I think the best thing that you can do is just sit there with them. If somebody's crying and saying, why, why, that's not the time to give them the answers. I think some of the best things that you can do is sit there with them, go over to their house, chill with them in their room, and if they're crying, you just sit there and cry with them. Put an arm around them, just sit in silence. Um, when I was in Bible college, I had um, my youth pastor, last, last thing I'll give here, my youth pastor told a story, my, I'm sorry, my professor told a story about when he was a youth pastor and he had, um, he had a you know, family in his youth group, and there was three boys in the family, and the oldest son died, like, in high school. And so he's praying. He's like, what am I going to say to these kids? What am I going to say? He went over to the house. You know, the, mother, the mother's crying. She opens the door, and he's like, I'm here to see, you know, the two younger brothers. And he goes up in their room, and they're kind of, you know, whatever, and, he, and they see him, and they just start crying. And for an hour, he sat there, sat on the floor right next to him, just cried for a whole hour, didn't say a word. At the end, they kind of, you know, transitioned or whatever, and he left the house, never gave one piece of advice. And, you know, years later, they looked at me and go, the, like, that was the best thing that anybody ever did for me. They just came and cried with me. Yeah. It's not an easy answer or question to answer. Um Here's a, probably another one that's not going to be easy to answer. Um, how should the church respond to mental illnesses? What does the Bible say about clinical depression, anxiety, etc.? Um, yeah, I think sometimes people think that Christians are, like, immune to mental illness and depression. Or, like, if you acquire that, there's something wrong with you. And uh, we were actually talking about this in one of my classes. But a lot of times, and I'll just talk about depression for a second. I know a lot of people... I think most people will struggle with that. Maybe not. I don't know the statistics, but a lot of people will struggle with that in their life. 
And sometimes we're like, man, is this a spiritual thing that I'm struggling with? Did I do something wrong with God? And in reality, this is the line I really like. Uh, my prof said it. He said, you don't need more prayer. You need more Prozac. And so <laughs> in terms of depression, sometimes we think that, and Prozac is basically it just um, the serotonin levels in your brain are, are kind of, you don't have enough. And so um, the pill that you take, the Prozac, helps even it out. And so that's what kind of helps you with your depression. And so it's a medicine. But we like to hyper-spiritualize um, depression and mental illness and say, you know, God's going to fix that. And trust me, I believe God, he, he says in his word that he's a God of healing. But at the same time, we don't want to undermine that he did give us medicine in this world to use. And so depression is a real thing. Mental illness is a real thing. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean uh, you're immune to it. Uh, you're just as prone to that as someone who doesn't have a relationship with God. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we need to be praying. We need to be praying about those things. But there, are, there is medicine. For, and the line that I, I always stick with is, you know, he doesn't need more prayer. He needs more Prozac. So um, in terms of depression, you know, I think pills are fine to take. That, that's, you know, I think we have those for a reason. So I think our temptation in life is to um, com compartmentalize our lives. Like, here's my spiritual box, and here's my, like, physical health box, and here's, like, my social box. And here's my academic box, and like none of them touch, and none of them, you know. So if it's like, oh, I have this physical anxiety problem, then you know it's living in this box. And then, what about my spiritual box? Is that supposed to? It's like, guys, we're whole people. You can't decide to go to school without your arm one day, unless you have a missing arm, and yeah, that didn't work so well. You can't decide to go to school without your blood one day. There we go. Unless you're dead or a zombie. This is not working out well. Right? You're a whole, you're a whole person, right? All of you, wherever you are, all of you is there. That's like a modification of, was it Gandhi? I don't even remember. Um, Jesus. Uh, you know, so all, all of that go, goes, goes into play. So, yeah, your spiritual life is not a separate thing. It's part of all of it. But so is your physical life. You got to take care of yourself in all these ways. And, um, I think for, what I liked about the question is, is uh, what does the church do about uh, mental illnesses? And one thing that I pray that the church does not do is get nervous and isolate them. You know? Like if there's someone in your small group that's struggling with anxiety or depression, sometimes as an individual, you know, we're insecure and we don't know how to respond to that. So we kind of just leave it alone. And all of a sudden they're isolated. You know, so I would pray that you and I become better at including the one who's hurting, you know, and finding out how we can be present with them, that even though they're depressed and in their life they want to, they want to be isolated, we find a way to be the brother and sister that they need, you know? Um, I think I would, I would add that uh, <clears throat> it's difficult sometimes. Uh, I think the church maybe has a history of, like, shaming or uh, isolating people who have, like, have mental illness or depressed or what have you. Um, but it is, uh, let's see, you can't, like, <coughs> sorry. Uh, I think my brain just, I, I didn't come with my brain tonight. I left my brain at home. Yeah. Uh, and my blood. So I'm going to pass on this one. I think, you know, Gabrielle Adams is sitting right here, and she has a cast on her foot. She's injured on her foot, <laughs> and she still came tonight. She's not embarrassed of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe my foot is broken. What are you going to do? It's your foot. It's broken, right? You, you, you had a surgery there, and that's not a big deal. But a lot of times when people have mental injuries, 
or anxiety or depression, it's almost like a little bit more embarrassing. If I can't admit that, hey, I don't think there needs to be a stigma to say, yeah, I struggle with like being down sometimes. I struggle with anxiety. You know what I mean? That's, we don't need to go, <gasps> or make the faces. You know, hey, it's all right. You know, I, I have people in my family that struggle with those kind of things. And so, um, yeah, mental health is, is something that we're learning a lot more about, and it's okay, but that's why we're here for each other. So there's a lot of questions that we're not going to get to tonight because i got a lot uh, over here. Um, um, but follow me here. There was a question um, about what does it mean to live a faith-based relationship with God versus a works-based. And then w- attached to that, there's been a lot of questions of, like, um, what if I swear? Is it okay to swear? Do I have a, what if I have a bad attitude? What if I disobey my parents? And I think those are connected um, in that way of how do we live in faith with God versus the works, this checklist of getting all this stuff right. Um, so think about that. On the, on the swearing side, um, what I want to the question is, what if I swear? Am I a Christian if I swear? What if I swear a lot? Is there certain situations where swearing is good? Um, here's, here's a life lesson for you. Are you ready for this? You're not ready. You're not ready for this. You're ready. Thank you, Caleb. If there is something happening in your life, right, you're doing, I'm speeding on the highway, okay? I'm speeding on the highway. 99.99% of the time, that is just a side effect of something that's deeper in my soul. If I'm speeding, it's because I have a problem with anger, I have obeying the law. And obeying the law, right? When I'm really angry and anxious and stressed out, I speed more. When I am unwilling to forgive people in my life and I'm bitter, I swear more. You know, so these things are 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 surface issues to what's really deep. So if you have if you're like, wow, I swear a lot, the thing is like, I need to stop swearing. No, it's what is in me right now that's causing this to bubble out over me? Sometimes it could just be a habit. That's the way the humans around you speak. But I would encourage you to, like, take your little mental shovel out, okay, and just start digging, okay, what's there. And you're going to hit stuff, and it's going to hurt probably. If you're emotionally aware, you're probably going to cry this like I do. This is a I metaphor, do. not literal, right? You I probably just... do not want to take a shovel to your head or your heart Yeah. Okay. in reality. I get questions. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's usually a side effect of something deeper. And so it's not the works we need to focus on, but, like, knowing that we're accepted in Christ by faith and looking at these side effects and going, what is it in me? Is it my pride? Is it my anger? Is it my insecurity? What's going on? Those are my thoughts. Good. Here's the difference. Can I get this up a little bit? Here's the difference between, um, between faith-based Christianity and works-based Christianity. Faith-based Christianity says, no matter what I do for the rest of my life, I know that I will never deserve to be with God. And yet he still accepts me. Thank you, Jesus, right? Works-based religion says, they say that, but really, if I'm good enough, then, like, I know I'll be even more accepted. Does that make sense? And so I go through those those phases. I feel it. There's certain times, especially, like, in light of my sinning, it it happens most when I have to confess sin to my wife and apologize. Those are the times that I'm most faith-based religion because I'm so aware of my sin. And those are the times where I go, God, I know that never in a million years do I deserve to be with you, and yet I still can. That's the gospel. I, God still accepts me, even though I don't deserve it. But then there's certain times where I go, you know what? 
if I do this, then God will really like me, and I can really be in his family. And so that's the difference. Um, am I doing works because then God will accept me, or do I realize that I can never earn it, and because I'm so grateful, I want to show God and respond to his love um, with how much I love him? I think one sign of maturity as a Christian is that, you know, when you first become a Christian, it's like the gospel becomes so real to you. It's like, wow, I've been saved by my faith in Jesus. I think personally a sign of maturity is that as you age as like a Christian, as you become a Christian longer and longer, the years go by, I think your appreciation, I think maturity is shown when you appreciate the gospel more. And I think that's the tension we live in is because you enter into a relationship, right? You enter into the Christian faith, putting your faith in Jesus, and it's so easily, this is the struggle, so easily you just want to say, okay, well, now I don't need you anymore. Like, you helped me. Like, I felt that, and now that feeling's gone, and now I feel like, like, think about it. Us four up here talking, it's like, it's easy to say, okay, well, we got it all together. Like, you know, we, we can have faith in ourselves, <laughs> and we don't. Like, we're the farthest, and I think as you mature, you're going to realize how much, um, hope, how hopeless you are and how much Jesus really does love you and how much he saved you. And so I think the faith, um, faith in Jesus, I think that our faith should grow and our appreciation for the gospel should grow. It shouldn't lessen. It should grow um, as we mature as Christians. It's not like Tim Keller said it's not the first, like the A, B, and C's of Christianity, but it's the entire alphabet, right? It's the A through Z. And so, and then just to talk about cussing a little bit, I mean, I don't want to get all legalistic and nitpicky and say don't cuss or like, personally, I, I don't. I don't really know where I stand on that. I've thought about it a lot. Um, I wouldn't advise just going and cussing all the time. That would just be a little weird. Um, I think it's definitely immature to do it at times. But if you cuss, I'm not going to say you're going to hell or, like, that's the worst thing in the world. But obviously I don't want to get really nitpicky on that and be, like, all legalistic. But I'll get nitpicky. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, check it out, dude. It's this simple. When God saves you, everything in your life now becomes a reflection of God, right? He says, be holy for I am holy. And so in whatever culture I'm in, in whatever context I'm in, I want to do, speak, say, think, breathe, everything I do, I want it to just show the world, dude, this is what my God is like. And so I think it's clear. I think Ephesians 5, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So when I slip up and I cuss and I drop something on my toe and I say something I don't appreciate, I'm not going, oh no, I need to get saved all over again. I'm going to hell. You don't go to hell for cursing. You go to hell for rejecting Jesus. So once you're saved and you're baptized and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you're in God's family. When you mess up in God's family, he doesn't kick you out and then start the process all over again. You know what I mean? Courtney, you're out of the family. Go through the adoption process again. We'll do this from the top. You know what I mean? No, but when we cuss, we repent of it and go, you know what? Hey, God, I'm sorry. That does not reflect the heart, the new heart that you have given me, right? And so I, I don't think it's a matter of going to hell or not. I think it's a matter of, hey, if you're a Christian, reflect Jesus. Okay, we'll take a quick pause on the deep stuff and quick answer. What's your favorite Disney character? Aladdin. Yes. It's a whole new world out there. The Beast. What? Sorry, that was a total Disney judge right there. <laughs> Sorry. Bro. Sorry. He's a beast. <laughs> yeah, literally. I don't know. Did you watch Disney, Jordan? I don't Where's your childhood? I didn't have one. My job uh, is to insult the candidates. Elsa. I'll do Elsa. <laughs> Elsa? Yeah. Elsa? I don't know. Growing up, mine was Peter Pan. Yes. I think my favorite girl right now, though, is Merida from Brave. 
You can change your fate. <laughs> Dude, that show <clears throat> irritated me so bad. Why? None of them know how to talk, Dad and Mom. Let's shoot my boo. They're Scottish. You tried to get to fight with a Scottish person and see Dude, what happens. I watched Braveheart. I know what the accent's supposed to sound like. <laughs> it was not good. Anyone with me? Okay. Bo was annoying, right? Only Dad, it's just the boo. She actually oh. is Scottish, though. The actress. That's how she talks. If you see her in interviews. Lord, help her. That's how she talks. <laughs> Sorry about don't that. that on, don't put that online. <laughs> Are we recording this? Yes. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. A uh, couple questions on just how do boo. we... <laughs> Don't make fun of my wannabe people. Right. <laughs> totally got derailed. Okay, a uh, couple questions on how do we know if God is speaking to us or calling us to do something? Mm. How do we hear the voice of the Lord? Okay, I, I have a two-step guide that I always go by. <laughs> no, I really do. I have a two-step. Step one. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll say I do believe uh, God does speak to us like supernatural. I mean, I'm not, I, I know people have claimed that, and I'm not going to go against that. But I say 99% of the time, I think he speaks through other people. But here's my two-step guide. You ready? Let's change your life, right? Open your Bible, read your Bible. That's two steps. And that's, I, I feel like God speaks to us through his word. And I feel like it's, uh, it can get dangerous also to say, um, I've heard people literally tell me to, like, be quiet and be silent. And the first thought that pops in my head is God. And I, I question that because that's, I don't know. I, I don't see that in God's word anywhere. Um, so I'd say he uh, uses other people to direct us. Obviously, there's things in life where we can, we feel like we can sense things or emotionally. But I, I would say the main way is really just open your Bible and read it. I say that's mm. the main way. Yeah, I, um, I knew a guy. I knew a guy once. And um, there was a girl that went up to this guy and said, hey, you're supposed to be my husband. And he was like, say, what? Chicka, who? What? And she's like, yeah, God told me. Oh, God told me. Oh, never mind. Yeah, cool. When are we getting married, right? No, right? That was not the Lord, right? The guy said, which God? That was his response. And then they never talked again. But, um, but check it out. No, dude, does God speak to us? Absolutely, right? It's a God who speaks. God is a communicating God. He's a personal God. And so I believe that, yeah, number one, he spoke through his word, right? He speaks to you through the scriptures. Um, and then I also do think that he, that he speaks to your heart. Um, but here's what happens, right? When we feel that God is speaking to us, never, look at me, never, you never want to come off with an attitude that goes, hey, blah, 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 I'm not listening to you because God already told me. No, no, we come not closed-handed. We come open-handed. I feel that God is saying this to me. I, I, I kind of think that God is impressing this on my heart. And do you notice the difference in the way I said that? Hey, Chris, God told me that you need to do this, this, this. Wait, 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 what? God was talking to you about me? Is that gossip? What? <laughs> you know, the Holy Spirit's gossiping now. Awesome. No, 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 no. But when I say, hey, Chris, I feel that God may be putting on my heart to let you know. You see the difference there? One is arrogant, like foolhardy. The, the other one is tentative, uh, 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 humble, right? Those kind of things. And so be open-handed. We're, we're learning to hear God's voice. But I think this, the more you read the, your Bible, the more that you're spending time with God, the more you'll recognize his voice. Because a lot of people, they say, dude, God told me this. But he actually said the exact opposite in the Bible. So how does that work, right? Is God, did God change his mind? No, that's not true. And so the more that we get to know God, the more that we'll hear him speaking to us. And then also, I think a lot of people confuse God's voice with God's wisdom. God, we start to understand what God would say and how God would think and how he would act in certain situations because we've been spending time, on it, spending time with him, reading his word, and things like that. 
Here's a short question. Why do people raise their hand during musical worship? <laughs> He's Is raising it? his hand right now. He's like, <laughs> yes! Either you have an answer or Praise you were just demonstrating. Were you demonstrating, Joey? All right, cool. Uh, so I've long wondered this question, too, honestly. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just stretching, God. Okay. Just stretching. <laughs> uh, but what people do during worship, whether it's kneeling or raising their hands, it's a physical reminder of an inward reality. So when we come into the presence of God, when we're worshiping God, God's everywhere, he's in this church, uh, when we're worshiping, we want to posture our hearts in a, in a place that's receptive of him. So lifting your hand would be like, I, you are, you're above everything, God. I, it's a sign of submission, kneeling, also like, God, you are you alone are good, like, I'm submitting to your will, like, teach me. It's, it's the way I understand it is, is adoration and submission. You're exalting God and saying, wow, God, you're amazing. And also, you're, it's reminding yourself to be submitted to, to what he is saying. And that's why, we, like, during worship, you know, we want to come and we want to be submitted to his word. And so, oftentimes, people have you know, hand gestures. They have the football, like they got everything. But uh, so that's uh, usually what people are doing that for, unless they're having a seizure or something like that. So I was just gonna say, I don't. I also don't think there's like a specific way to do musical worship, like to worship God through music. Like it doesn't make you um, a better worshiper necessarily through music if you raise your hands or if you don't. I don't think there's a necessary like a specific way. It's like wow, this is if you raise your hands, you're like in ultra worship mode, right? So I think. That's just, it is a physical sign of like an inward thing that's happening. Um, and I, I've seen people pray with their arms open or when we stretch out a hand. That doesn't necessarily do anything, but at the same time, it's physically a representation. So, I'm a very demonstrative person. The root word there is not demon. It's demonstrate. And so I'm a, I'm a person. I used to think that. I'm like in English class. Demonstrative. Oh, my mom told me about this. I'm not in this class. And I peace out. Um, and then I fail. Anyway. Um, I'm a very demonstrative person. I like to demonstrate, right? I'm talking. I'm like, yo, what's up? I go to a football game. I'm like, yes. And so, at, like, what I'm feeling in my heart, I demonstrate outwardly. And so I remember the first time that I started raising my hands in musical worship. And it was actually kind of exhilarating because I'm like, dude, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone here. I'm, I'm doing something new to express myself to God. And so sometimes when I'm singing, I, I'm doing this because I'm like, God, I give up. Like, I feel like I've been running from you. I surrender. I want you. Sometimes I'll even, like, sometimes we're singing songs and Tyler's up there rocking out and I'll, like, put my fist in the air. I'm like, yes, I believe that. God, yes. And I'm just, I'm just expressing myself to God. And so I like what, what Jordan said. You're not, like, an all-star worshiper if you're, like, my technique was flawless. <laughs> Did you see my arm angle that day? The Lord saw that, you know. Um, you actually can find guides on how to raise your hand in musical worship online. We don't support those here, but they are out there, and they're pretty hilarious. Um, have you guys seen those? Oh, they call them, like, the, the TV carrier, because, like, some people are like this, you know, like you're holding the TV. The bread. Some people are, like, the field, the bread. Game. Some people are the field goal winners, you know. And so, yeah, you, there's, no, there's no, um, there's no uh, magic to it. It's, a, it's an expression and a demonstration of, uh, of how we're feeling toward the Lord. Sam, do you like green eggs and ham? I don't. Who does? No one. Nobody. Okay. Jake, are you Australian? Uh, I'm not Australian. Um, no, no. I'm, I, w I wish I was, though, because they have I sweet, think it's the hair. They have accents that I would kill for. Jake surfs a lot, in case you can't That's tell. not true. That is also not true. 
There are two things, at least two things that have been said tonight that are not true. <laughs> I am not Australian. I do not serve. Okay, here's a semi-more deep question, and I guess we'll give it to Jordan. Can you tell us the gospel in under five minutes? No. Under two minutes? Mm. <laughs> I bet Sam can. Oh, you really want me to? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm really doing that. Sorry, that was not a yes or no question. That was inviting you to an opportunity to share. Man, well, ah, that's tough. But, yeah, I mean, I would say the gospel, I mean, obviously it starts in the beginning with the fall, but um, I would say the gospel is simply you can't work your way to God. There's no way that you could write down on a piece of paper all the things you did good in your life or all the things you were involved in and give it to God and say, okay, now I can be a part of your family. Um, I think the gospel is simply all you can give to God is your sin and come to him like that and say, uh, here's my sin. And in faith, you say, hey, I put my faith in you. And um, in return, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And um, through Jesus, you're saved. So. Simply not works, uh, but it is a faith. You know, I, I actually thought about this um, last year. I remember I had this metaphor. If somebody were to say, hey, who are you? What? Dude, we answer that question all the time. Who are you? You guys answer that in one line in your Twitter handle, right? Or you put like a one-sentence description in your bio, right? Here's who I'm about. It's all about Jesus. Basketball is life. Follow me on this. And I'm like, one of those things is not like the other, right? But I mean, you, but, or we can sit down for an hour and you can tell me your whole story. So you can collapse it to this small or you can make it this big. That's the gospel. Dude, I can sit here for an hour and tell you the story of Jesus or I can tell it to you in 10 seconds. God loved the world so much that he worked to save it and to reconcile it to himself. And he did it through Jesus. I can go further. God, the gospel is God's good news that he was working to save the world, to redeem it. I mean, we can, we can expand it, we can shrink it, whatever it is, but um, I think that's what it is. Sweet. So again, a lot of you submitted questions. We're just not going to be able to get to all of them, so I apologize for that. In the past, we've answered them in another venue, but we may be able to do that. Um, yeah, if you still have questions, we're actually keeping this email just up. Text in questions whenever you have them. If you're up at like 3 in the morning and you're like, why do zebras have stripes? Don't send that one in. But if you have another question, feel free to send it in, and we'll actually be looking through these over the next several weeks, and we can just reply directly to your text message um, an answer for you. Yeah, and, and like the, you don't just ask questions once or twice a year, right? This is not the only time we're asking questions. I encourage you that if you are really struggling with it, like there's some serious questions here that I'd love for us to get to, um, time-wise, we just can't, you know, so, like, take those questions to your leader, or, um, more questions that you have, like, bring them to your small group, you know, ask your neighbor, be like, bro, have you ever thought about this? No? Let's think about it together, you know? Uh, keep, be people who ask questions, I guess, is what I'm saying, but, yeah. Someone just said, why do zebras have stripes? There was gonna be someone who does that. Always. These are, the rest of these are all super deep. Zebras have stripes because God made them that way. Whoa. I guess we can know this one. I don't know if this is helpful. This is harder than it looks, okay, guys? Thanks for your patience and grace. Um... The question is, why do we want love so much? I'm sure there's a rap song out there that has the answers. 
Like I have a feeling that it is. Is that a lyric on something and I'm missing it? What's love got to He's like, that doesn't even rhyme. <laughs> that doesn't go well in a phrase. Well, okay, I think that definitely it goes back to, uh, you know, God. He made, because God made it that way. Uh, well, so God made Adam, and he made everything. He's like, okay, it's good. It's really, it's really good. Um, but he also said it's not good that man is alone. And so he gives him someone suitable for him. So I think that God in us created this God size that we need God, a God size hole, but also a human size one where we need, we have this need for other people. And I, I think that we see that most clearly, at least uh, primarily with Adam, is that he needed someone like him. Uh, the animals just weren't cutting it. So as great as a dog is and like, you know, gorillas are funny to look at, but they're not really good at talking. So, uh, yeah, we just need, I think that's uh, built into who we are. <laughs> it's all about the gorillas, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I think um, it, it really comes down to the fact that we're made in the image of God, right? Like, you guys know what the word Trinity means, right? It's like the three persons of the Godhead. They're in community with each other, right? And so when God made us, mankind, male and female, in his image... He made us that we're wired. We long to be in relationship with other people. So I, I would say not only do we only do we long for love, we just we long for relationship because we reflect God's image. God is a relational God, and that's why he wants us to be in relationship with him. And the refrain that starts from the beginning all the way to the end of the Bible, that God says, in the end, I will, be, I will live in their midst, and I will be their God, and they will be my people because we're made for relationship. It's good. <laughs> Thanks, Brennan. Carrying it. Yeah. All right. The rest of these are going to be like five plus minute answers, I think. Yeah. Well, guys, so. thanks. Thanks for your questions. Uh, like she said, continue to bring those in because this is this is who we are here. That we ask questions, um, and we're we're not scared of those. So if you guys have questions, talk to your 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 small group leaders, youth staffers, and um, and we'll continue to do this throughout the year. So give it up for the rest of our panel. Thank Courtney. Thank Jake, the Australian, as well as Paris. So let's, hey, we're going to hang out for the rest of the night. You're welcome to come. Let's hang out, play games, and uh, have a great week.